Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bankrupt Hippo YouTube channel. I'm Bryce, and this is episode 6 of Coffee and Kernels, where we talk all about movies, video games, TV shows, and the like. We've got another episode for you guys today. I'm actually filming this and recording this right in the middle of E3. If you guys haven't heard currently or are watching this, E3 is going on right now. Most of it is online. I believe all of it is exclusively online. If you guys are curious and want to watch it, IGN is covering the entire event. So if you just go on YouTube and look up IGN, you can find them streaming everything live. That's at least how I'm watching anyway. You can pretty much watch it on any platform that you're looking for. I'm actually recording this in between E3 sessions, so this will be a shorter episode. So I don't want to waste any time. Let's get right into it. So a couple of big things happened this week. Uh, Loki season series premiere actually came on Wednesday earlier this week. I just had a chance to sit down and watch it yesterday. Uh, some things so far from E3 that have stood out to me. I haven't been able to watch absolutely everything because i got stuff going on, but just some of the highlights that I've seen so far. And I think that I'll actually do it with this episode. So let's get right into Loki first. So Loki, like I said, premiered on Disney Plus on Wednesday, June 9th. And this show... First of all, spoilers ahead for Loki. So if you haven't seen it yet, go watch the first episode of Loki and then come back and watch this episode of Coffee and Kernels. If you don't care about spoilers, welcome. If you've already seen the episode, welcome. But anyways, so where Loki picks up in the world of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is it's actually in the middle of Endgame or technically the first Avengers movie, depending on what lens you really look at it through. For Loki, it's in the middle of the first Avengers. For us, it's probably in the middle of Endgame, so take that for what's worth. But there's a moment in Endgame that they drop the Tesseract on the ground, it's spinning, Loki picks it up, and then he suddenly disappears. And that's essentially where the show Loki begins, is where does Loki end up after he picks up the Tesseract and then goes off into another realm, another dimension, etc. and so forth. Well, he goes off onto this desert planet and first thing he does is, of course, he tries to rule the three people that are right in front of him. It's kind of like on a sand planet. It's really odd. But a few minutes later, a portal opens, and these three people dressed in spacesuits essentially come. And they introduce themselves as the TVA. That is an acronym for the Time Variance Authority. Essentially what they are is they are in charge of keeping one timeline throughout the entire universe, and those who diverge from that one timeline and try to create another, like what Loki just did by picking up the Tesseract, are brought into, effectively, the TVA jail, put on trial, and sentenced to whatever the TVA deems necessary. So they come find Loki, and they bring him back to their lair, and that's where the episode kind of picks up. We learn exactly who the Time Variance Authority are. I just put it in a very short paraphrase to give a simple explanation, but it, it, the explanation that they give in the episode is a lot more long-winded than that, and it's also a little bit more whimsical. In fact, it reminds me of watching like a 90s cartoon, almost like Johnny Bravo in a way. If you guys have never seen Johnny Bravo, go ahead and give it a watch to know what I'm talking about, but they explain it in a much better way than I can, so I would encourage you guys to fully cement that understanding of the TVA by watching the episode. But anyways, Lo we kind of go on this ride with Loki for like the first quarter of the episode about what the Time Variance Authority are, why they're there, why Loki's being put into prison. But while all this is going on, we also get an introduction into the second most important character, I think, of this series, which is going to be 
Mobius M. Mobius is the official name that I saw on IMDb, if I'm not mistaken. It's played by Owen Wilson, and we get a look into Mobius because he's currently investigating the murder of one of the TVA agents. Owen Wilson, as Mobius himself, is in fact a TVA agent. I use the term agent very loosely because, as we find out in the episode, all of the people who work for the TVA were created by the timekeepers, which are the people who are in charge of essentially maintaining one timeline throughout the entire existence of the universe. So basically, Mobius is trying to investigate all these murders to TVA agents, and he needs a little bit of help. And in the middle of one of his investigations, he gets a call back, and he figures out that Loki is been picked up by TVA agents and is being put on trial, so he decides to intervene because he thinks that Loki can help him investigate these murders. And this is where the episode really picks up, and I think we get probably one of the most powerful moments in the MCU because what happens between Mobius and Loki for the rest of the episode is absolute gold. Basically, what happens is they go into this room and Owen Wilson just starts to, or I'm sorry, Mobius starts to question Loki pretty much about his motivation. Why does Loki want to rule? Why is he so hellbent on ruling Earth? Why does he want to then take over the Nine Realms, Midgard, whatever it might be? Why is Loki so bent on ruling? And Mobius just kind of digs at Loki for a while just to figure out what makes him tick, just to understand him. That's all that Mobius really wants to do is understand him. And what we get out of it is a really deep introspection of Loki from Loki himself. He kind of takes us on this journey of discovering and answering the question of why, you know, and that's, I think, the most thought-provoking and most interesting question you can really ask of any character is why. Why are they motivated why do they desire what they desire? And it, it, it it's absolutely phenomenal how the show plays out. And thankfully, they use it to occupy most of the episodes. So the show knows where its strengths lie and sticks with it throughout the entirety of the series premiere, which I absolutely enjoyed. But anyway, so Loki, at the beginning of this conversation, is insistent that he's just there to claim his birthright, what's rightfully his. He was destined to be a god and rule and be, be king and he he th- he claims it's his birthright and mobius starts to kind of uh, take a look back at his past basically everything that happened in the avengers movie and he also shows loki a bit of what's to come what what his future is going to be now remember everything after the avengers movie hasn't happened yet where we're at in the show so for example what i said earlier that For us, the show picks up in the middle of Endgame, but depending on what lens you're looking in, it picks up in the middle of the Avengers movie. For Loki, the show Loki, this actually, in Loki's eyes, picks up right in the middle of Avengers. So everything that's happened after the Avengers movie actually hasn't happened yet in the eyes of the show itself. So it gets a little bit confusing to kind of keep track of, but anyways... Mobius starts showing Loki things that haven't happened yet, which is stuff from Thor Dark World. And one of the things that Loki does in Thor Dark World is, again, causes mischief, betrays Asgard, and inevitably leads his mother to her death. I His adoptive mother, I guess you could say, because they've hashed that out in a lot of other Thor movies as well, but he leads his mother to his death, and then Mobius is, like, showing him this, 
And it's that's it's where we're starting to get deep into Loki because he's emotionally affected. He's like, oh my god, I lead my mother to her death. And Mobius is like, why do you do this? What what what's what what kick out of this do you get? And then Loki again is just deflecting. He's not having it. And it, it at one point it just gets too much. So for a time he escapes. He's running around. He's trying to avoid Mobius. And in the middle of him trying to escape, he's still trying to go after that tesseract so he can grab it and basically get out of the TVA lair. Well, he runs into one of the secretaries and for some reason goes into his desk. I can't remember exactly the reason he went in, but he finds literally, he opens a drawer, he finds a drawer full of infinity stones, every single one. And he asks the secretary, he's like, you guys all have these infinity stones? He's like, oh yeah, everybody in the office has got them. Some use them as paperweights. And Loki is just sitting there like, breaking down and he has this moment in this realization that the TVA are the most powerful entity in the universe. They to them the infinity stones mean almost nothing because they have like I said all the power in the universe. They literally control the timeline, the one timeline that exists in the universe. So to there's no greater power than that and that's what the show sort of establishes through this particular scene and Loki is just so taken back like he thinks that by having the tesseract he's all powerful and all knowing. But he gets the Tesseract, and he gets the Blue Infinity Stone in this moment, and there's nothing he can do because the TVA rules all. So this kind of is a very sobering moment for Loki as a character, and he decides to go back to the room and cooperate. But first, before he gets back into his conversation with Mobius, he watches the rest of his file. Like I said, Mobius is showing Loki things that haven't happened yet in Dark World, but Loki decides what does the rest of my life look like? So he watches the entire file that the TVA has on him all the way up until his death in Infinity War. So he 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 sees his own death, and I can't imagine that for anybody that'd be very healthy or very... It'd be emotionally scarring seeing how and when and in what circumstance you're going to pass on from the world. And so it, it, it really... I think it's the moment that really opens him up and he realizes that he's only a minor fraction of the universe so at the end of the day mobius returns they start to get deeper and loki reveals his motivation which he starts to realize that his ultimate desire for power and his ultimate desire for rule comes from him being weak he acknowledges that the reason why he does what he does is because he doesn't feel great about himself he feels some sort of weakness he feels some sort of inadequacy and or at least that's the way i interpret it and i just thought it was so powerful because it's it's just so applicable in real life and i got to give the mcu props on so many levels because the last few tv shows they've done wandavision now loki you could argue falcon and the winter soldier they take these comic book characters and villains and they tell stories about them that make us introspectively look at our own lives look at the parallels in our own lives and really acknowledge like wow like there are so many different lenses to look at here so many so many things to abstract how does this parallel with my own life and it just tells a story that's so relatable and so emotionally impactful and even it talks about power dynamics like social justice it talks about hierarchies it talks about mental health like all of these things that the mcu is touching on that hasn't quite done it before and now they're they're doing that and they're doing it in such a way that's still supremely entertaining and not so obvious i guess you could say 
they, they're just striking the right balance with everything. And it's just, it's blowing me away and I'm absolutely loving every second of it. And it's only making me look forward to Loki even more. And it also gives me a new understanding of Loki because Loki, as powerful as a character as he is, a popular character as he is, and as a mischievous and fun character as he is, we've never quite understood his motivation so plainly than we have up until this point. Like we know his facade that he is the god of mischief he is just there to cause mischief and do as he pleases but at the end of the day it's because like i said he feels some sort of inadequacy it's his way of uh gaining power and feeling better about himself and it's just it it, it was it was such a powerful episode and scene overall and i i absolutely was thrilled with the series premiere of loki it was it was destined to be dealt with glorious purpose, or Loki is now being burdened with glorious purpose, as he likes to put it, in a lot of uh, MCU titles. So overall, I I really enjoyed the the series premiere of Loki. The only criticism I have for it is that if you've never seen any Marvel title at all, picking up Loki from the start might be a little difficult, which I'm going to cut the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a lot of slack in this case because of the fact that this is the first title I think I have ever seen where I can give that critique. Every other one with as many pieces as the MCU has, pretty much anybody can watch any of them at any given moment in time, never having watched the other movies, and know exactly what's going on and be able to follow. Case in point, when I started watching the MCU, I watched Black Panther. That was my first introduction to the MCU. I had no issues following the movie whatsoever. It was very clearly communicated. I absolutely loved the movie. If it was just a standalone movie, my hat was off to it. And the fact that I that it was part of a greater universe actually blew my mind even more. So I would say that, that if I had never watched any Marvel title and I went and watched the first episode of Loki, I probably wouldn't have gotten everything. But then again, granted, I don't know anybody who has watched Loki that hasn't ever watched any previous uh, Marvel title before. So take that. A criticism with a grain of salt but if you guys have thoughts on that feel free to jump down in the comments below or if you have any thoughts on the loki series premiere in general whatever you think feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know your thoughts all right ladies and gentlemen so moving on from loki we're gonna talk excuse me just a little bit about e3 before the square enix showcase ends up coming up in 10 minutes so let's get through what e3 has shown at least me so far, because like I said, I haven't gotten to watch absolutely everything with the show because I've been having to dip in and out because things have been happening. But anyways, uh, E3 is currently going on. Like I said before, if you guys want to watch it, IGN is covering every inch of it, and I've really enjoyed their coverage, so watch it on any of the platforms that you like. But a lot of awesome games are coming. I got to catch most of the um, Xbox and Bethesda showcase, I got to catch some of the Ubisoft Forward showcase as well. So, great games are coming. Far Cry 6 is one of them. I personally cannot wait for it. The one thing that really confused me about the Far Cry 6 presentation was the fact that they said that in their DLC or in their season pass that you can play as Voss, you can play as Pagan Man, you can play as Joseph Seed, which to me sounds absolutely phenomenal, but the way they delivered it still gave me some ambiguities because it's like, okay, you can play as those villains, and we all know that the Far Cry series has had some awesome villains, especially in the last few games, but in what way do you get to play as those villains? Do they get their own campaign? Do you just play through three Far Cry 3, 4, and 5 as them? It's, it's really tough to tell. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that in general, but the fact that we get to play as those characters, to me, is 
a perfect solution for Ubisoft because like I said before in my video, my previous video comparing Pagan Min and Voss, my critique for both of them was that we get very little of them in Far Cry 3 and 4. It's like we get maybe 10, 20 minutes with them in the entirety of the game and they're such great characters and it's really disappointing that we don't really get to see them. And on the flip side of that coin, the protagonists in the Far Cry series are never really that strong. So it's like you want more of the villain, you want more of the strong antagonist because they're just so much fun to listen to and understand and the fact that they're kind of flipping that on its head and you your protagonist becomes the antagonist and you get to play as the antagonist i think is a brilliant perfect solution to that so i don't know if ubisoft or like heard me off in the distance somewhere is like all right let's do this but i it, that didn't happen rest assured but i just thought that was a really cool dynamic and i can't wait to play far cry 6 to see how that ends up playing out and the one other thing too that i I'm not quite clear on is it sounds like Far Cry 6 is going to be coming to Xbox Game Pass. For those of you who have Xbox Game Pass like myself, I'm I'd be really pumped because I tend to buy Far Cry 6 day 1 uh every time a new one comes out and if I don't have to do that this time around that'd be excellent. If I have to if I have to buy the do that to buy the DLC, it's worth it because I really want to see what it's like to play as Voss Paganman and Joseph Seed, but I'm really excited for Far Cry 6. I think it's got a lot of potential. Um, and I am looking forward to it overall, especially with Giancarlo Esposito. Never a mistake to add talent, and that guy is talented, no doubt. And I think he'll be a great antagonist again for the Far Cry series. So what other games have come? A Halo Infinite seems to have generated a lot of interest. I miss the Halo Infinite part of the Xbox presentation, so I can't really speak much on it. But I heard everyone's really, really excited about it. So for all of you Halo fans... Uh, I think you have a lot to look forward to. I myself, I enjoy Halo, but I wouldn't consider myself a diehard Halo fan, I guess you could say. But then again, I mean, I've played through Halo 1, 2, 3, 4, and I've enjoyed all of them. It's just, like I said, not a diehard fan, but I still am a fan nonetheless. So even I'm a little intrigued by Halo Infinite myself. So uh, other big notes that I saw. Uh, as an Xbox Game Pass subscriber, kind of going back on that just for a second, it sounds like Microsoft's coming out with 30 games over the course of the next year, if I'm not mistaken, if I heard them right. And Phil Spencer, one of the heads at Microsoft, or I'm sorry, one of the heads at Xbox, said that 27 of those 30 games are coming to Game Pass. And it, it, I'm just super pumped about it because it's like Game Pass in and of itself is, I think, an awesome service. And the fact that they keep adding to it, it keeps uh, subscribers like me motivated to retain the service and enjoy it even more because they just keep adding these awesome games on day one for the most part and it lets us enjoy them and get into our hands right away so it makes me watch their showcase with even more interest because i'm like wow a lot of these games are going to be coming right away so let's see what they got and I, I i think that's absolutely phenomenal and a good move on their part to keep building their service too so big things from them again though one of the first things i saw in my viewing of uh e3 was rocksmith to rocksmith to me was a really, really cool concept. So a little bit of backstory. I casually play guitar. Like I started learning when I was in seventh grade, maybe. And I've played on and off ever since then. And a lot of times I noticed that when I'd learn different songs, I would just look up the tabs and kind of play with the tabs. And what Rocksmith has done is it's made that model very accessible, very uh intuitive very fluid and also really easy to use and i would have killed to have had it when i first started playing guitar 
And I was actually like a step away from going and signing up for their beta right away just to see how awesome it was because it's it's essentially making learning guitar or really a few other instruments too, bass, and I think even drums they mentioned. Don't quote me on that, but it's making the learning of instruments a lot more accessible and I think will turn a lot of people on to music, which is a creative outlet in general. And I think it's just better for the entire world that Rocksmith is such a powerful, or I think will be such a powerful product. And I just thought it was so fascinating the way that they delivered it, the way they marketed it and showcased it. And I'm super pumped. And me as just a casual player, I would even use it to learn uh, some songs myself too. So it, I think it's going to have no problem attracting uh, new instrument players and currently existing ones and even experts as well. So I'm curious to see what Rocksmith is going to end up doing in the future as well. Uh, last couple notes that I saw so far from my viewing experience of E3, an Avatar game is coming. So James Cameron's Avatar movie inspired, it looks like, a game, and it looks like Bethesda's making it. And I believe it's been rumored for a few years now. It's been talked about that the game has been uh, being worked on, and they decided to showcase it at E3, and it sounds like it's an open-world game. So... I'm really interested to see how it's going to go down, and I, I'm i sorry, I misspoke just a second ago. It wasn't it wasn't Bethesda that's making it. I believe it's Ubisoft that's developing the game, so my apologies for that. And if I'm wrong again, just correct me down in the comments. It's totally fine. But yeah, I, I'm excited that Ubisoft is making this Avatar game because myself, I enjoy Ubisoft games. The one critique I've heard about a lot of Ubisoft games is a lot of them feel very, a lot of their concepts feel very recycled. And I think that's a really valid criticism is the fact that Ubisoft games, a lot of times you, when you have open world games with Ubisoft, you take over sections of the map, you unlock different areas, you start taking control of the map piece by piece. And slowly over time, you start to take it over and I've seen that same model done to an extent in Assassin's Creed. I've seen that done in Watch Dogs, the very first Watch Dogs anyway, because that's the one I've played. I've seen it done in Far Cry, and I can totally see how that's a valid criticism, and I worry that they're going to kind of employ that same technique with the Avatar game. But then again, myself, I, like I said, I've enjoyed Ubisoft games, no matter whether it's been Far Cry, Watch Dogs, or Assassin's Creed. In fact, Assassin's Creed is probably one of my favorite franchises in my gaming life, but I, if they do decide to employ that same technique in an open world avatar game, I'd probably be okay with it as long as the story is good and they keep me busy. I'm totally okay with it. But for those of you who are in line with the fact that Ubisoft kind of rinses and repeats some of their concepts in games, I, that's something I would be worried about. But then again, whatever you feel about it, it, it's all you. So I, I myself, I'm excited for the Avatar game. I can't wait to try it. I love the movie, and I'm excited to see it come to life in a game. So that's another thing to keep your eyes out for as well. And then the last thing, and I actually just got done. This was at the very end of uh, Xboxes or Bethes Xbox and Bethesda showcase was uh, Redfall. Arcane Studios is making a game called Redfall, and I believe it's coming out in the summer of 2022. And oh my god, I had no idea about this game going into the show, and I am super intrigued and pumped for it, honestly. And it's, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Arcane games. For those of you who don't know what Arcane's made in the past, they've made the Dishonored series. If I'm not mistaken, they've also had their hand in Wolfenstein as well, another great game. And Redfall is basically, from what I've gathered, a some kind of a shooter where you're trying to combat 
vampires in a way, which I know sounds really cryptic and very formulaic, but the way that they deliver it in their presentation was so great. I encourage you guys to watch the presentation for Redfall right after you watch this video, but it was just done so well, and I actually got a lot of really strong Dishonored game vibes, and mainly where I got those vibes was in the art design of the game. It's very dark, it's very gray. A lot of the character designs and faces are very, very much resemble uh, the Dishonored makeup and feel and level design. And if you're a fan of Dishonored, I have a feeling that you'll take a liking to what uh, Arcane had to show for Redfall. So me personally, that has now turned into like my most anticipated game to play next for within the next year or so. So I can't wait to see what Redfall has to offer. If you guys have thoughts on that, like I said earlier, feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know whatever you think. But that game just looked phenomenal. I'm doing kind of a poor job explaining it, but words don't do it justice. Go ahead and watch the presentation for Redfall and let me know what you think later on so uh that that's about it for my take on e3 so far i've really enjoyed it like i said i haven't been able to watch every segment of it so i'm sure there's a lot of things i missed so ladies and gentlemen if there are things that you've seen in e3 so far that are super exciting for you uh feel free to drop them down in the comments below or what game are you most excited to see in the future whatever you think comment down below and let me know your thoughts all right, ladies and gentlemen, so that'll do it for this episode of Coffee and Kernels. I've been Bryce. This has been the Bankrupt Hippo YouTube channel. Enjoy the rest of E3, and until next time, have a great day.